This podcast is brought to you by the Toronto School of Management's NCA Exam Prep Program. The TSM NCA Prep Program offers internationally trained lawyers courses taught by practicing lawyers in Canada, expertly designed study guides, exclusive networking opportunities with top Canadian law firms, and employability sessions, arming you with all the tools you need in order to hit the ground running in your pursuit to practicing law in Canada. To find out more about the program, you can email ncaprep at torontosom.ca. Welcome to A Shot of Life, a podcast aimed at highlighting the personal journeys of professionals and entrepreneurs in Canada, taking a snapshot of the person behind their professional title. I'm your host, Anton Haswell. This is episode three of our National Committee on Accreditation Journey sub-series. This NCA sub-series will focus on individuals who have already or are currently undertaking the accreditation journey in Canada. We will uncover motivations, anxieties, failures, and triumphs in an aim to showcase the wide-ranging experiences many people face when looking to become a lawyer in Canada. Our third guest in this series is Siobhan Lennox. As a dual-qualified corporate, commercial, and securities lawyer in England and Wales and British Columbia, Canada, Siobhan uses her personal experience of working in business to provide a business-centric and internationally informed approach to legal matters as a trusted advisor to her clients. With a strong commitment to community, storytelling, and mentorship, Siobhan is the president of Global Lawyers of Canada BC Chapter, promoting a diverse and inclusive legal profession that reflects the clients we serve through advocacy, community engagement, professional development, mentorship, and networking opportunities. Siobhan hosts a weekly mentor office hour series for lawyers and law students with mentors and mentees from across Canada and around the world. This platform provides a space for legal professionals to come together share their stories, and support each other through their shared and learned experiences. Hi, Siobhan. Hi, Anton. Thanks for having me join you today. Yeah, thanks so much for agreeing to do the podcast. Absolutely. It's a great opportunity to actually share my story, possibly for the first time with everybody. <laughs> right. Yes, I know you've you've been building a brand, I know, through Global Lawyers of Canada, and we can definitely get into that because I think it's such an amazing resource for students uh, and, you know, internationally trained lawyers and professionals abroad and in Canada. Um, but yeah, I, I'm actually curious to learn a little bit about yourself and your journey. I mean, that's that's sort of the ethos of this podcast is to, you know, kind of get into motivations, inspirations, even anxieties and failures, really, to to allow other people to learn from everybody's journey. So um, right. what I like to start with always is to learn a little bit about what made you choose law as a profession and where you studied. For sure. Um, so probably to give a little bit of a background, uh, I'm British, um, born and raised in the UK um, between Manchester and Leeds. And I actually came to law, I guess, a little bit later in life than a lot of law students um, do in that I thought I wanted to be a doctor. Mm. So um, during high school and school, so my A-levels, for those of you who are familiar with them, um, the UK education system, I did sciences. Um, I truly thought I was going to be a doctor. And then I went and did a weekend residential um, 
sort of staycation type thing when I was 17 mm-hmm. um, at a medical school in the UK and realized within an hour of arriving that this was not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I phoned my dad. I remember standing at a payphone because at the time we didn't have um, mobile phones, cell phones. Mm-hmm. I remember standing at a payphone in the corridor calling my dad saying, this is awful. This is a waste of money. What have I done? And he was like, this is the best hundred pounds I've ever spent. Yes. You know, (laughs) you don't want to do this before you get sucked into five years of medical school and the rest of your life. And I was like, okay, all right. My dad has my back. All right. Right. What am I going to do next? So I stuck it out. I stayed for the weekend. You know, I experienced the whole thing, but I knew medicine wasn't actually what I wanted to do for a career. Um, And I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. So I ended up applying to do um, European politics um, at university and I went to the University of Newcastle upon time and I did a four year BA um, and as part of that I got to spend a year in Madrid attending university and exploring different cultures and different languages and meeting people from all over the world. Um, And this really kind of, I think, cemented my journey into an international lifestyle (laughs) of Mm. moving around. Um, But what do you do with a politics degree when you graduate? Um, I really wasn't sure. Um, So I went into a graduate management training program um, with a large company in the UK. And unfortunately, that got cancelled two weeks before the start date. So the best laid plans and all that didn't quite pan out. Um, and I was very fortunate. I landed a job with um, the um, regional development agency in Yorkshire. Um, and I worked for them for a little over a year. And as part of that, I actually was one of the founding members of their contracts team. Oh, wow. And this was one of my first real exposure to hands-on legal work. And we contracted in all of the lawyers. So it was all external counsel who were advising us. But I realized very quickly, I was like, this isn't rocket science. Right. I could kind of do this myself. Like, why am I constantly contracting in a lawyer to do this when I could do this um, if I was a lawyer, right? You just need that credential behind you. So on a whim, and you know half a bottle of decent wine I applied to law school and um, would you believe I got accepted and I started law school like three weeks later wow I had to hand my notice in I had to find the money for law school and um, yeah went to start at law school so I did what they call the graduate diploma in law which the GDL. So that's effectively um, a conversion course of your undergraduate degree into something equivalent to an LLB or JD. Um, And it's a 12 month program and you ram in three years of law school into 12 months. (laughs) Uh, So it's kind of intense. Uh, I got to say it kind of put me into a good space for what was to come later on in my journey without me even realizing it at this point in that, you know, you can, get through some pretty intense study times um, when you need to. Um, So I did that one year, passed that, and whilst I was doing that year, I was applying for training contracts in the UK. Right. And I successfully um, got one of those. And actually, as soon as I'd done that application and done the interview, I cancelled all of the other interviews because I knew that was the firm I wanted to work for. Wow. So I didn't even do any other interviews. I just did that one and was like, this is it. I'm all in. Um, mm. And I, thank goodness I got it. <laughs> um, yeah, no kidding. And, uh, 
they sponsored me through my LPC year and I went to BPP, um, which is a private um, school in the UK. Um, and I was at their Leeds campus and I did my LPC there. And then I did my training contract, as I said, with one of the top 50 corporate law firms in the UK. Wow. Um, and so I did my training contract with them, uh, which is two years. And their program was that you rotated between what they call seats, which mm -hmm. is basically a different seat in the office and um, you rotate between different departments and um, so I did four rotations um, I requested to do construction law as my first rotation and the reason for choosing construction law was they work with nearly every single department in the law practice right they're involved with planning real estate banking um, insolvency corporate litigation so I was like, this is a great way for me to like see all the other departments, meet an awful lot of people in a very short period of time. Um, and I, and I got to do exactly that. Um, I was really lucky and you know, had a great team that I worked with um, and then got to meet everybody else. And then I requested corporate and typically um, a lot of students don't get to do a corporate rotation in their first year um, mm -hmm. of their training contract, but I did because I asked. And if you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. What's the worst they can say is no, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, I did, so I did my corporate rotation and I was like, this is home. I was like, one of those sort of like alleluia moments. I was like, I knew exactly this was the place that I was supposed to be. Um, but I then went on and did banking and banking was also great. Um, and that was when I was like, what, 2009? So at this point, the economy is going in the toilet yeah. um, there wasn't a huge amount of work going on um, so they sent me on secondment mm. so I actually got to go and work in-house for five months and I worked for a large financial institution um, in their in-house team and that gave me exposure to the differences of being in private practice to being in-house and the different challenges and nuances that that brings to your legal practice Right. and to how you interact with people um, and I guess in a way it made me very client focused um, right. rather than necessarily being so focused on the law right it was very much about okay how does the law help achieve my client's goals right. at yeah. the end of the day it's very much what was ingrained to me when I was in law school in the UK was this sense of commercial awareness and I guess what you're talking about there is you're, you're living that where, where you're, you, I, I suppose, especially when you're first starting your legal career, you can sort of get hyper-focused on the law and really yeah. mastering the law with, with maybe less of a focus on the bigger macro picture, which is really servicing the client's needs. So it sounds like that, that five months at the financial institution would have helped, helped shape that for you moving, on, moving forward. Absolutely. Yeah, it really did. So now, you know, when I went back into private practice, it really was like the focus was on, okay, the client's trying to achieve this goal. How can we help them achieve it? Right. Using the rules and the regulations that are available to us. Um, and how do we do that? Um, and so also with the way that you phrase the advice you're providing, yeah. um, it's just a slight change in your language, but it makes a huge difference to how the client receives it and how the client can implement it as well. Right. Um, yeah. I think when I was in law school <clears throat> and I, it sounds rather ignorant really, but I actually think it's okay. Um, I, 
for quite a while while I was studying law, I was like, yeah, okay, this is fine. Okay, this this precedent is here, case law is here. But what do lawyers do? <laughs> like what, what Absolutely. you know, the law is here. What is it that you do from nine AM to nine PM? And what it what I've learned and obviously what you're hinting toward is you're dealing with clients and clients want well in corporate, let's say, clients want to get business done. They want to be able to do you know, grow their business, merge, whatever the case may be. And they enlist, let's say, the corporate lawyer or the, or the firm to yeah. manage the legal side of things, like you said. So you, your job is to sort of be the facilitator for the company's wishes, really, and, and communicate what might stand in the company's way and how you can get around certain things or deal with certain legislations. So, yeah, I, I came to me, I, I don't think that that comes to law students very easily at all. And I guess that's understandable because you are, your focus is to get the grades and, and sort of memorize case law, but really the job is quite different from the education. Absolutely, and that's kind of the difference between the LLB compared to the LPC. Right. Uh, for a solicitor, um, for a barrister, obviously, it would be the BPTC. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, that's the, that's the different nuance between the undergraduate and then the professional recognition, mm -hmm. is it's that taking that book knowledge mm -hmm. and then learning how to actually apply that book knowledge in particular situations. And yes, they give you some cases, and like some scenarios of where you can do it, but until you're actually in it and seeing it for yourself, Mm -hmm. it doesn't really necessarily make sense. And that's completely understandable. Um, you know, and that's why having a commercial awareness or building a commercial awareness, because, you, you know, as a junior lawyer, as a law student, you're not expected to have every single piece of information at your hands. But having a general idea of what some of the drivers, some of the stresses, some of the pain points some of the opportunities that might be there for particular sectors that you might be interested in working with mm -hmm. can be really useful in building that those building blocks of commercial awareness and um, because it just makes you appreciate where the client is coming from yeah. and some of the drivers that they're experiencing and that may be why they're asking a certain question but it can also help you frame the questions to ask the client to draw out more information so you can give a fuller picture mm -hmm. to the advice you're going to ultimately be providing. Um, so it's having that awareness because they, you know, clients aren't perfect. They're not going to give you all of the information up front. Yep. You're, you know, that's one of the skills you learn during interview practice is it's how to draw out some of that information, some of that additional information that the client might not even realize why it's important. In fact, 99% of the time, they won't realize why it could be important. Hmm. But for you to be able to give the right advice, you need to know a bigger picture, not just the tiny slice they're giving. Yeah, no, I, I, 100%. And I, commercial awareness workshops when I was in my LLB always seemed to be sort of a time filler. But looking back on it, <clears throat> some universities in the UK do a really good job in trying to get you at least to start thinking that way. Um, and I mean, we, we, I didn't attend law school in Canada, and nor did you. So yeah. um, I, I gather that they would do the same. But it, it's just one of those things uh, for listeners um, to understand that you kind of need to start thinking about 
um, how the law works in the real world. And by real world, I mean, you know, ultimately law is a service-based industry. And so if you're serving your clients, ultimately what the client wants is what you have to try to achieve to some extent. So it's, it's, it's interesting and wise to start thinking that way um, as soon as you can, you know, within reason. And so you've, you've worked at the financial institution um, and on your secondment and how long after that, or let's say what was the motivation or what happened that caused you to move to Canada? Sure. Well, I guess this kind of stems from what we were just talking about, about commercial awareness. Mm. It And commercial awareness doesn't always necessarily mean you have to go to a commercial awareness seminar. Mm-hmm. It just means read the paper, <laughs> watch mm-hmm. the news, um, read trade journals of industries that you might be interested in. Um, you know, just keep aware of what's happening around you in the world that might, you know, if it's corporate law you want to do, you know, read business type things, read memoirs by business people you know, do things like that. Um, But I think having that commercial awareness, it made me sort of see, oh, you know, the economy's not great right now. And it doesn't look like it's going to pick up anytime soon. Um, And when I was talking to the partners in my law firm, you know, I was very, very clear from the start, you know, I wanted to qualify into corporate. That's what I wanted to do. I was Mm -hmm. not a litigator. Um, You know, I followed the solicitor route, not the barrister route in the UK. And they are two very distinct routes um, but I didn't want to work in litigation I have no desire to work in litigation and I'm also not a private client um, focused person so I didn't want to do family right those kinds of areas it just didn't interest me and real estate also mm. you know, doesn't really interest me unless it's for a purpose you know a vehicle to do something right. um, so I knew I wanted to be a corporate lawyer and I was talking to the lawyers and they said well you know really you know, given the way the economy is going for, you know, the foreseeable future. And at this point in the UK, they were delaying training contract start dates. They were laying off lawyers and support assistants. Um, there was a free, there was a hiring freeze um, across you know, many industries, not just law. Um, and the partners suggested, well, why don't you take a kind of sabbatical? Go away for six months, do something you've always wanted to do, and then, but keep in touch. And if the economy changes, you're first on our list. Um, so I took, I took the advantage of that. I went and did something I'd always wanted to do. And I took a, what I call a gap season. Mm. Um, it wasn't a full gap year because it was only supposed to be for the winter. <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be long term. And um, I applied for um, what they called a BUNAC visa at the time, which is now an IEC working holiday visa, um, which the time was for one year for Canada um, mm-hmm. and I got it um, it's not the same process then as it is now I didn't have to go into this lottery system I literally just applied and was granted it um, and so in 2009 I came to Canada actually almost exactly um, 11 years ago to the day wow. um, I came to Canada and um, I had applied online for a few positions before I came out because I knew that although I was coming away, I still needed to earn enough money to break even. Mm-hmm. Um, so for anyone who's done a work, uh, who's done a gap year or some time abroad, like breaking even is the goal. Like if you actually make a profit, then you're winning. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can just break and eat, break even so you don't end up in debt, then you know it covers all your costs whilst you're away, then you're onto a good thing. 
-hmm. So I actually had a Skype interview for a job, uh, which was a retail assistant in Banff, working for the Banff Ski Hub, which is part of the joint venture program for the three ski hills in Banff National Park. Um, and bizarrely, um, but also probably a little bit of fate, um, the person interviewing me was a Kiwi lawyer who had mm. moved to Banff on a similar kind of, you know, I need to get away from law for a little bit and just do something else. Um, so it was kind of random. We had two um, internationally trained lawyers both working in a ski resort. But then when I got to Banff, I realized that nearly everybody in there had a degree, a master's degree, and some of them even had PhDs. Like these were some incredibly smart people who'd done all sorts of different things in their lives and had ended up in a ski resort wow. um, from all over the world. Um, so that was like a fantastic opportunity. Um, I loved it so much that I stayed for two years in Banff. They sponsored me for a second year because the economy hadn't picked up and um, there still weren't many corporate jobs. And I just was having too much fun you know skiing 100 days a year and getting paid to ski was just too much of a good thing so yeah. i stayed um, and then ultimately the canadian government changed the visa rules and i was able to get a an additional one year working holiday visa that wasn't tied to a particular employer so at this point i moved to vancouver because i decided that i loved canada i loved what i was doing but it wasn't sustainable long-term for mm -hmm. me to keep living the lifestyle that I was living. Um, and I actually really missed practicing law. Um, it, so, you know, I missed that interaction um, with my clients of helping their businesses grow, helping them navigate some of the challenges they were finding and celebrating the wins with mm -hmm. them. Um, so I moved to Vancouver because I didn't fancy living in Toronto. There were too many similarities to for me to practicing law in London. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was big, it was frenetic, it was intense, long, long hours, um, and, and also the weather. I mean, it's super hot and, and steamy in the summer and ridiculously cold in the winter. And this is from someone coming from, who'd been in Banff for two years where it hits minus 40. Mm -hmm. But I was just like, oh, I don't really fancy Toronto cold where I can't at least go skiing. Yeah. So Vancouver, to me seemed to offer the best of both worlds. It had the opportunity that I was looking for work-wise and um, career-wise, but it also had the lifestyle that I was hoping to balance with that. Um, so I moved to Vancouver, I had a year, had a year to make it all happen. Hmm. So I joined um, a temping agency. And so they helped me find short-term um, positions basically covering for people who were on sick or who were on vacation or just they had a short-term contract to fill and I worked for a number of different law firms and in-house legal teams across uh, Vancouver um, over the course of you know eight months or something like that um, and so it gave me a real flavor as to what type of firms were out there I learned some of the different words they use for things. Right. So uh, what we would have called property law back in the UK, they call real estate and real estate also encompasses planning and construction law all under one umbrella. And they don't necessarily list them as separate practices all the time. Mm. Um, so little things like that, that I was learning along the way and I was learning, you know, different ways that people do things within a law firm because every law firm has its own 
quirks and procedures for doing things. So it was a really good way for me to experience those firsthand and figure out what type of environment I wanted to work in and I wanted to thrive or I could thrive in. Um, I ultimately landed a full-time position uh, with a major national law firm as a legal assistant mm -hmm. uh, and I was hired uh, it was supposed to be you know, it was a full-time position permanent position but there was an expiration date in mind because my main purpose was to help one of the senior partners in their transition to retirement so we had this retirement date in the back of our minds and that kind of played to my advantage because it gave me time to you know get my permanent residency and also complete my NCA exams, my equivalency exams. Um, so it all kind of lined up mm -hmm. relatively neatly. Um, I ended up there for a lot longer than I think anyone, including myself expected. I ended up working um, with this firm for just over four years. Mm. Um, and it was, a, it was a lovely environment. Um, it was another, you know, as I said, national law firm. So large corporate based law firm. Um, I ended up ultimately supporting this one partner, but an additional three partners and an associate and then students as they rotated through the, through the departments. Um, and again, I got to meet a lot of people. I was you know, continuing to build my professional network, uh, my peer network at this point. There were a lot of lawyers and support staff whilst I was at this firm who were incredibly supportive of what I was doing through the NCA equivalency exam process. And they helped me study. Oh, wow. You know, I actually had one lawyer who at the time was um, an articling student himself. And I had to write um, the civil procedure um, exam. Mm -hmm. And I did the mock exam and then he marked it for me with ugly red pen. Mm. Um, which for those of you who've worked in a law firm and you've experienced the ugly red pen, it's, you know, it still brings fear and, mm. you know, butterflies in my stomach to see how much red pen is on the page, you know, as they mark, um, they mark mm -hmm. it up and give you all the corrections and basically just destroy everything you've just spent the last, you know, two days of your life writing and they destroy it in five seconds. <laughs> uh, and there was a lot of red pen on there, but there was also a lot of, you know, ticks where I got it right but where I would got it wrong he actually sat me down and said okay I can see why, why you thought this was the answer but actually if you look at this rule and this rule it's this this and this I mean for an articling student who is very busy trying to prove themselves at their law firm to, to, to take the time yeah and sit down and explain that with me I'll be forever grateful because honestly it made it when it came to the exam feel like a breeze in comparison to that process um, but he did it with such grace and humility um, that it will always stick with me um, how he did that. So I was very supportive, even like, you know, all of the other legal assistants, they would all be like, yeah, you got this, you can do this. Just, you know, just knowing you had that support there behind you when you were feeling like you weren't achieving anything was really, really helpful for me. And they also took time to introduce me to other contacts um, because I knew I wasn't going to article with this firm. And um, it just wasn't in the pipeline based on, you know, their hiring practices. And, you know, I'd been there for four years. Um, I was now seen as an exceptionally competent legal assistant. Yeah. But when you've been somewhere for a long time, 
it can be difficult for people to view you in a different way in a right. different position um, and there is still that distinction between support staff and lawyers um, right or wrongly it still exists mm. um, but the, they were fantastic in that they introduced me to an awful lot of people um, and then you know it was up to me to then develop those relationships and you know see where they came but having that personal recommendation of hey you should talk to this person is a huge aid Mm -hmm. to that networking process um, and whilst I was doing my NC exams and whilst I was working as a legal assistant um, so I was working full-time as well so mm -hmm. it was a full-time position um, I was also I joined the Vancouver Board of Trade so the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade they have a company of young professionals which is basically a young professionals networking opportunity um, and within that they offer a program uh, which is called peer leadership and that program basically separated everybody up into groups of 10 to 12 people and um, based upon your I guess tenure in your career to date um, and your level of education so whether you were still at, at university whether you were a high school student they basically put you in people put you with people who are in a similar level to you um, so that you have the best you know networking experience and mentoring experience from each other and then we were given a challenge to do over the course of nine months or so mm -hmm. and at the end of that we had to present what we'd worked on um, and there was a big sort of you know reception and we did it and my team actually won Mm. Um, and our theme was on mental health and how to promote mental health initiatives in the workplace across the lower mainland which is um, the equivalent of the GTA for those of you who are familiar with Toronto um, or the greater London area for those of you who are familiar with London in the UK and um, we came up with a IT platform where members of the Board of Trade could share various different initiatives they were doing. They could share language that they'd put together for their handbooks um, and for their code of conducts. Um, and they could also share resources that they were using. So for example, if one organization was doing yoga classes and they had a few spaces free during the week, then a smaller business could you know take advantage of that and offer them to their employees who maybe didn't have the financial resources to put on a paid yoga class a paid for yoga class each week or each month right. um, so it's a way of you know the larger businesses being able to help the smaller businesses and vice versa with what they were doing um, and so we presented this and we won the um, judges award for it but there was also a people's choice award which required you to use social media to get people to vote and things like that mm. um, so in through that process we all learned on my, my team in particular how to use social media <laughs> for these kinds of purposes and how to spread word of your message of what you're doing and so it was a really interesting way of utilizing all of our different skill sets and backgrounds and coming together for a, a group purpose Right. for other people and through that one of the members of my group um, he introduced me to his lawyer and his law firm that he used um, and ultimately I ended up articling with that law firm and now I'm an associate with them um, so it really came about through word of mouth 
Um, so I know oh, this yeah. was a question that you'd asked me about earlier on um, when we were talking about doing this podcast was, you know, do you have any tips for finding articling positions? Um, and I know this is a question I get asked an awful lot from people who find me through um, LinkedIn or through events that I'm doing. Uh, and yes, there is the formal application process using, um, for example, VI Desktop. Um, so if you just Google or use whichever search engine you prefer to use, VI Desktop, um, the, a lot of the law firms here in Canada use that platform with very stringent and strict um, timeframes and dates. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they hire typically one to two years in advance. So right now the applications are open for a start date of September, 2021. Um, and we're recording this in case you're listening to this later on um, mm -hmm. in the end of August, 2020, mm -hmm. uh, just so you have a, a, a scale of um, when you happen to listen to this podcast. Um, so a lot of firms will use that. A lot of the larger and mid-sized firms, um, the smaller to mid-sized firms will recruit directly through their website. They might post on LinkedIn. They might post on indeed.com um, and um, places like that. Um, but an awful lot of positions are never actually posted publicly. It's mm. through word of mouth um, and it's through personal recommendations. And that's where it's so important that you start to build that professional network in the new place that you're living in. So for like for you, Anton, and for me, where we went to law school in the UK, our professional network is probably still in the UK in that regards. Yeah. Like they're the, they're the peer network that we you know trained up with. Um, and that's where your professional network starts from. It's from, you know, high school. It's from the football or soccer team that you're a part of. It's from the dance classes you go to or the yoga studio you attend. Um, and then it comes up through law school and then through um, later on through articling and then through attending events, you know, CPD and continued professional development or continuing legal education events. Um, so it's so important that when you arrive and there's so many different things when you're arriving, whether you're a Canadian returning to Canada or you're a new landed immigrant, and there's so many different things taking over your life at this point. You know, you've got to find somewhere to live. You've got to learn how to buy a bus ticket so you can take the bus. Mm. Um, you need to take these awful NCA equivalency exams and your life becomes about passing these exams. But you need to start thinking a slightly longer term and thinking about, okay, well, the exams is just one hurdle. I then need to do my articling position, which is the next hurdle. And then I need my first associate position. So there's lots and lots of hurdles and lots and lots of, um, you know, gates you have to open and you have to jump through to reach the next stage, but you can't just complete one and then think about the next one you need to have in the back of your mind. Okay. What's the next step? Okay. Maybe there's something I can do whilst I'm completing this step. That's going to make that next step a little bit easier for myself. And for networking, that's something you can do all the time because it's something you're going to be doing for the rest of your life yeah it's building relationships it. yeah exactly and you know what and it's not natural for the vast majority of us meeting new people is one of the hardest things we're ever going to have to do because it's not a natural skill that we have but it is a skill like anything else and it can be learned mm -hmm. and it can be continuously improved and i truly believe that we learn best by just doing 
and if we fail we fail forwards but we learn from failing and we go on and we get better and better each time mm. um and so there's lots of different ways you can network i mean i talked previously um, a minute ago how you know i was introduced to people by people i was working with um but you know we live in a digital age now and we live in an age currently where we can't really meet in person as easily hmm. so we need to use those online networking opportunities as much as we possibly can um, and that actually has its advantages too because you can cast your net a lot wider and meet a lot more people from different places um, who have their own networks who might be able to introduce you to people um, that can then connect you kind of like a spider's web and everyone mm -hmm. joins together i find that um people are a little bit more amenable to taking in taking questions or um, asking, you know, there's all these virtual coffees and, you know, virtual zoom mm -hmm. meetings that, that people can request of, of people. Like you say, you just cast your net and maybe you're following somebody like Siobhan on LinkedIn and you're following her posts and like, wow, this is really interesting. She's, you know, sharing a lot of things that are super relevant to me. Let me reach out. And now in this day and age, you know, with the unfortunate events of the pandemic, I think people are a little bit more open to and being receptive to, you know, taking those emails, taking those calls and, and actually doing something about it. Because normally you'd be like when I was in the UK for law school, you'd be usually um, networking involved getting a suit on and going into a room with windows and a nice view with a glass of wine and kind of shifting from group to group. Um, but yeah. that's, that's kind of changed now for at least, I think it's probably changed forever in some respects um, because I think a lot of this stuff will start online first and foremost. So it is, um, it's something that I encourage people to do as well. And I mean, we got connected Siobhan because I reached out to you <laughs> precisely for that. You know, I just saw yeah. what you were doing and I thought, geez, yeah, this is great. So yeah, again, I, I echo your sentiments. I think online, um, especially now, um, there's no because you can't meet in person is not an excuse to not what network in some ways it's, it's easier and more effective to network online. Absolutely. But I do think there's a caveat that comes with that, mm -hmm. that um, we've learned in the past that we can almost hide behind our, commut our mm -hmm. computer screens. Yeah. Yeah. And we can't do that with this. So when you're making a connection with somebody, so let's use LinkedIn, for example, because um, I personally don't accept, friend requests on Facebook. Facebook is my personal yeah. side, whereas LinkedIn is my um, professional side. Um, not that there's anything on my Facebook side that I don't want anybody on my professional side to not see, but I just have to have some kind of separation in my life. And I believe that that is the case for a, a lot of people out there too. Mm. So if you're reaching out to people on LinkedIn, don't just click connect. <laughs> Yeah. Personalize the connect. So you can click the connect button and then by the side of it are three little dots. And on those dots, you can choose personalize invite, personalize it, put two lines. That's all you need to do. Why you want to connect with me. And I'm using me as an example. Mm -hmm. Why would you like to connect with me? And what do you hope to achieve from the connection? Two lines. That's all. Because yeah. if you don't do that, you're just a number you you know with a face like with a little picture with a face on it yeah. there's no connection there just because you've connected like actually reach out and say to the person why you're connecting with them 
just like you would in person. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you were in that room with a cup of coffee in your hand or a glass of wine in your hand, you would say, hey, you know, I heard you talking a minute ago about, you know, whatever it was they were just talking about. Um, and I found it really interesting. So I wanted to come introduce myself and say, thank you. Right. Great. You've, yeah. made a pers- you've now made a personal connection with that person. So do try wherever possible. I know it's so difficult um, to remember all the time, especially if you're using your telephone, like right, it's really small. Um, but do try and add that personalized invite um, option as mm-hmm. to why you're connecting um, and then start that dialogue. Um, and, and start that dialogue between you and this person because you never know when in the future you could be beneficial to that person or that person could be helpful for you. Um, so start early with that kind of thing. And also right now, as we were saying, a lot of the, the networking events, a lot of events in general are happening online. And I kind of agree with you, Anton, that I see the future being a hybrid version mm-hmm. with some people maybe attending locally, but the majority of people attending virtually for yeah. these events um, because everybody is appreciating having that little bit extra time to do what they want with their own time <laughs> um, yeah. rather than muting to an office all of the time. And for anyone who's worked in, in London, um, you know, you can easily spend an hour to two hours commuting each way every day just across London. Yeah. Um, so to regain that extra hour to two hours a day, it really adds up really quickly. I mean, you, you're gaining, you know, say it's an hour, you're gaining like 300 hours a day. Oh, a year, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, that's crazy to think you're gaining 300 hours. Like think of that in terms of billable hours. That's, you know, you achieving like a next target or something, or it's you having time to spend with your family or your loved ones or doing that um, activity you've always wanted to do, learning that new skill, whether it's like learning to, you know, play the piano or Mm -hmm. learning to ride a bike, you know, you don't have 300 hours to spend doing that. Um, So, you know, I think there's going to be a hybrid, but do attend these virtual events Mm -hmm. and then use them as an opportunity to reach out to people. So if a speaker says something that really strikes a chord with you, reach out to them on LinkedIn afterwards or send them an email at their work email address, which is probably on their firm's website sure. and say you attended the event and tell them why you, the, what they said was really interesting to you. Use that as your icebreaker, as your opening. But also if somebody else asks a question and you know, they're, they're another attendee and they ask a question and that's really interesting to you, make the similar connection with that person too. And say, hey, we both attended this event. I heard you ask this question. That was right on my mind too. You know, what did you think of the presenter's answer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or something like that. You know, use use those opportunities to you know network with other people as well. Um, there's so many out there from different law firms to different businesses to um, accounting firms, um, brokers, all sorts of different things. Um, we'll talk about global laws of Canada, I'm sure soon, mm-hmm. but there's lots of professional organizations out there hosting an awful lot of free or very, very affordable events right now that can help you expand your commercial awareness, expand your legal career awareness as to what's happening in the legal industry or particular um, types of law um, or just opportunities to meet other people. Um, so definitely take advantage of those as as and when you can. I agree a hundred percent. And it's something that I, you know, I, I, 
as you know, and I suppose the listeners know as well, I'm involved in a program, um, developing a program that's meant to help internationally trained lawyers. Um, I suppose the primary goal of it is to pass the five core modules. So there's prep courses and study guides and all of those things. But I mean, you've been hitting on, like I just keep nodding my head (laughs) in agreement (laughs) because you're hitting on a lot of the things that I could just... I could see, and I think a lot of people can see, but it's just too, it's not, it's not said enough. You know, it goes unsaid a lot is that um, too many times internationally trained lawyers um, view the NCA exams and the bar exams as the finish line in now all of a sudden. And I mean, sometimes, unfortunately, they're marketed that, it's marketed to them that way. You know, become a lawyer in Canada, um, pass these exams and you're good to go. When in reality, that's, that's, that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, in some ways, the NCA exams are daunting because you have to juggle all of these other things. If your focus is strictly the NCAs, they can be daunting, yes. But what's more daunting, in my opinion, is um, this thought of, oh, God, where am I going to work? How am I going to do this? And so, like you say, there's, there are a lot of resources. It's just, you know, with my program at Toronto School of Management and with Global Lawyers of Canada that we'll get into in one second, uh, among many, many others, um, I think it's time now for people, for, for internationally trained lawyers to start looking looking and, and treating the NCAs and the bar with, with the respect it deserves, of course, but also yeah. looking beyond them. Um, and I, I was wondering in your, I, you probably touched on it earlier, but at what stage would you recommend an internationally trained lawyer? Let's say somebody who's not Canadian, um, who, who's moving to Canada for the first time um, and has a foreign law degree and would like to practice in Canada. At what stage would they, would you recommend they look into networking, you know, establishing this, this baseline of knowledge when it comes to Canadian commercial awareness in the legal profession? Immediately. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. Absolutely immediately. Uh, I mean, you already have a network um, from your home jurisdiction, your original jurisdiction. So my first starting point would be reach out within your existing network and see if anybody has any connections to Canada. Yeah. Because it might surprise you. You might have someone. You might have a hundred people who know people. You never know. Um, I came to Canada and I knew nobody. Like absolutely nobody. Um, but that's not always the case. Um, and especially as you know, a lot of people move in very, very international circles. Um, you might know someone who knows someone who knows someone who can introduce you to somebody. And they might not be in law, but they might be but they might be in Canada. Right. And making those connections to where your home, your new home is going to be. And to your new community is just as important as building your legal connections network. Um, yeah. Because one of the things is you need to you need to find your space within your new community, mm-hmm. and you need to develop yourself within that space because that's part of your commercial awareness. That's part of being able to service your clients, whether you know it's in family law or whether it's in immigration law. You need to know what's going on in the community to understand some of the things that are happening um, and some of the questions that might come up. And so getting to know people within that community um, is just as important. And especially if you haven't decided where you want to be in Canada yet. If your goal is just to come to Canada, that's fantastic. 
Mm. Canada is a pretty big place. <laughs> um, and we have, unlike some other countries um, here in Canada, we have bar associations for different areas, so different regions. Mm-hmm. And so the bar exam that Anton was just talking about just then is relevant to the area of the country that you're going to be living and working in. Um, so you kind of need to narrow down which area of the country you want to be in. So that's when I was saying earlier on that I moved from um, Banff, which is in Alberta, to Vancouver, which is in British Columbia. So I can continue to move west to mm-hmm. the coast. Um, and so, you know, it's fine. And Alberta and British Columbia have different bar associations. So they have different bar exams. And in fact, some of the NCA exams are reflective of the bar that you're going to be joining. So for example, family law, you write the family law exam based on the bar that you want to be called into. Mm-hmm. Um, so you do need to start thinking about you know, where it is you want to live. And where you want to live might be based on your social connections. It might be based on economics. It might be based on you know, the environment. Or it might be based on the type of law you want to practice because certain areas of Canada have specialisms, which you know happens like in any city, you'll go to a certain area of the city and you'll have the financial district. You'll go to another area and it'll be like full of restaurants and bars. And then you go to another area and it's full of shops. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of like that with law in the different specialisms of law quite often group together geographically as well. Um, so you're unlikely or less likely to find, you know, a huge international um, shipping practice, for example, in the middle of Manitoba, which is landlocked, <laughs> right. for example. Um, so just like as a crazy example, but just kind of keep that in mind as well and start doing your research and, and start thinking about that and what it is that you want because that will then help you as you start to network because you'll start to contact people who are based in those geographical areas and your opening conversation can be, Hey, I'm an internationally trained lawyer with six years of experience of, um, civil litigation in, I don't know, Mumbai. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, I'm in the process of relocating to Windsor, Ontario, and I see that, you know, you're a leading example um, of a legal practitioner in the Windsor market in civil litigation. Um, and I've kind of been following you on social media, but I, you know, I have a couple of questions about the practice of civil litigation in, in Windsor. And would you be open to me asking them to you? Yeah, I'm so happy you provided that example because I could just picture so many people's heads spinning, thinking, wait, whoa, <laughs> wait a second, NCA exams, bar exams, where am I going to live? <laughs> what am I going to practice? But it is quite simple. Like you, I think people, I mean, it is a challenge using that Mumbai example. You know, there, there's a desire to immigrate to Canada, let's say, um, and somebody has been practicing as a lawyer in their home jurisdiction, and they'd like to do so in Canada, and they should, absolutely. <laughs> and so, I would imagine, I mean, I haven't, you know, I haven't had to go through it, but just anecdotally and my business partner, you know, moved yeah. from, from India to, 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 to Vancouver actually initially, and then to Toronto. Um, yeah. But the, the primary consideration was, you know, where am I going to live and what would be good for my family? And so you can start to shape your planning in terms of when you're going to write the NCA exams, how you will approach the bar, in which province would you like to practice? 
um, pretty early on in that process and then start looking for, as you said, um, individuals or firms within that geographic location that, that are practicing in areas similar to yours or who, who may even share a similar journey to yours. I mean, I think yeah. a really good resource is looking on law firms' websites and looking at bios. You know, like when I was in the, yeah, when I was in the UK, I was, um, I started a society at my law school and it was, you know, in some respects, looking to help international students, but also, you know, there's also the selfish element of wanting to meet lawyers and network and things like that. And my strategy mm -hmm. was to look at firms and look at the firm's lawyers list and those bios and anybody mm -hmm. with Canadian education, I say, boom, that, that's the, but that's the lawyer I'm going to reach out to. And I, the first line I'm going to say is, hey, I'm from Canada too. I'm a law student. Can we have a chat? You know, and that it, you know, you'd be surprised at how receptive people are saying, you know, I've been there, done that. I know how it is. Um, let's connect and let's see what we can do to help each other. So I think while it could sound daunting to connect, like to put these puzzle pieces together. Um, and I do mm. think it's so important that everybody understands and recognizes that these puzzle pieces exist. It's not just the NCAs. Um, that they, they can put them together and they can ask for help and, and guidance and there are organizations and institutions out there to provide it. And that is an excellent segue to Global, <laughs> Lawyer, Global Lawyers of Canada. So if you could just briefly explain, I mean, I think it's an amazing resource and I know I've told you in the past that although it's Global Lawyers of Canada and perhaps maybe targeted towards helping and providing resources for internationally trained lawyers, I think domestically trained lawyers could benefit hugely as well. So if you could just get into sort of what the organization does and your role within it, that would be great. Absolutely, yeah, no, it's, um, thank you for that. No, yeah. it's um, very heartwarming when we hear feedback like that, so that's great. Yeah. Um, so Global Lawyers of Canada is a national professional association that promotes a diverse and competitive legal market in Canada by representing and supporting internationally trained and globally minded lawyers through advocacy, community engagement, networking, mentoring, and professional development. That's the official spiel, mm -hmm. um, which is now ingrained in my mind, which is why my voice sounds different when I say it, as I'm <laughs> saying it. Um, but we were founded in 2015 in Calgary, Alberta by a few articling students who all kind of met whilst they were articling at different places in Calgary and they all realized that they'd all gone on this international law school journey mm -hmm. whether that was because they were Canadians who'd gone to school um, outside of Canada or they were from different parts of the world done their legal education there and then emigrated um, to Canada um, and so they formed this group um, in, as I say in 2015 and they were incredibly successful of integrating themselves into the Calgary legal market and they host hosted regular um, what we call CLE CPD um, courses which basically is continued professional development because once you're a lawyer in Canada you have to continue to do continuing professional development um, you know, there's so many hours a year that you have to do mm -hmm. um, through accredited courses um, and there's lots of different organizations who host these events and um, Global Lawyers of Canada became one of those in Calgary and they partnered with various different law firms and also internationally minded businesses. 
um, and they did various different seminars um, on different topics and they brought the legal and business community across Calgary together um, to start some of these conversations around you know being diverse and inclusive and competitive and also being representative of the client that the legal market serves um, and they were doing that very well, very successfully. And I kind of connected with one of these people on LinkedIn at some point and, you know, we sort of stayed in touch, but we went off and did our own things. And as you do, right, you don't have to be in touch every single day um, or even once a month, you know, but kind of there and, you know, he kept popping up in my feed and I kept seeing things he was doing. Um, but I was one of those students. So I have been there. I was one of those students who was hyper focused on finishing my NCA exams. And, um, you know, I was working full time, was planning a wedding, <laughs> and I was moving house and I was writing my NCA exams all at the same time. So I get it. You're juggling an awful lot of balls and networking was something I was doing, but I was only doing in a small amount. And I wish in hindsight, I'd done a little bit more mm -hmm. on it. Um, so that's why I'm very focused on, you know, spreading those networks but what happened was through those connections you know i stayed in touch um the with daniel lowe um and then ultimately one of my summer students one of my very first summer students when i was working as a legal assistant he is now a partner at a completely different firm and he sent me an email and said hey i've met someone who kind of is like you He's went to school outside of Canada too, and now he's here and he contacted me and here's his details. You two should connect. And we did, we went for coffee. Uh, this mm -hmm. was in the days where you could meet someone for coffee yeah. without having to think about it. And we went and we met for coffee and we had a talk and we were like, you know what? There's gotta be more of us out there. There's more of us going through this. And I was like, Oh yeah, there's that guy, Daniel. And it's stuck in the back of my mind. And he was doing, you know, these fantastic things in Calgary. And I was like, that's really interesting who on earth wants to come like are there more of us i don't know so um we threw up an event on eventbrite and it was a happy hour come and meet us at chewy's in downtown vancouver at 5 30 on this day we'll have a table reserved we'll see you then and i think we had 20 to 30 people showed up wow and we didn't know any of them until that event. Wow. Um, and we were like, wow, if that can happen just from an Eventbrite posting, how many more? There's more out there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we continued to do that for a few months. We continued to have like a regular kind of meetup happy hour just so that, you know, we had a peer group, you know, a group of people who understood what we were going through and they knew how hard it was. And they just understood the suck that we were all going through. Right. <laughs> together you know it was like that you know camaraderie of mm. all of us being in a similar sort of situation um and then one day i got talking to daniel and he was like hey you know what we you could set up a chapter of global lawyers of canada in bc and um, my friend and i looked at each other and we were like well that would be good because they already have like an established brand right you know, we could expand on that so we founded the BC chapter at the same time as the Ontario chapter was launched with a similar group of like-minded people in Ontario who are based in Toronto. And at the same, and just before that, um, there was a chapter opened up in Edmonton. Um, and so this was last year. And then this year we launched in Saskatchewan and in the Atlantic region. So from 2015, we were just in Calgary to 2020. We now have coast to coast coverage. Um, wow. for our members and our membership has grown massively um, 
And it's been fantastic because we've been able to connect with more and more people and learn what other people are going through and learn from other people's stories and journeys. And we have a platform that people can utilize to share their journeys and share their stories um, and connect with other people who recognize qualities or aspects of those stories in their own stories right. um, and start to network with one another. Um, and it's also enabled us to engage more with the legal and the business community across Canada mm-hmm. and explore different opportunities um, for internationally trained lawyers. And maybe slowly our aim is to break down some of those hurdles and stigmas that might be in place that are associated with internationally trained lawyers. Um, and that takes time, obviously. Yeah. You're not going to change somebody's opinion over time with any kind of, whether it's conscious or unconscious bias. But people are open to having those discussions. They're open to learning from our members' stories and journeys. And we're starting to see some changes happening within the legal community. And, you know, along with, um, quite rightly, the Black um, Lives Matter um, movement that's come to the forefront of people's attention um, during the pandemic, um, the continuing work that the LGBTQ2 plus um, movement is working with, and also the rights of Aboriginal and Indigenous um, people as well, um, and just generally access to justice um, for mm-hmm. all. Um, we're just another element of that working alongside and the idea of global laws Canada is we're not reinventing the wheel we don't want to reinvent the wheel we want to be a conduit for people to access the resources and the groups that are already out there and that are doing a fantastic job and it's maybe just that the internationally trained lawyers because they don't have a network or a large network within Canada don't know how to connect with these organizations they don't necessarily know they exist so we're just a way to funnel people to other places um, and you know promote the work that they're already doing and support the work that they're already doing as well for the community at large um, mm. so yeah that's what we've been doing yeah no it's it's exciting to see the growth like you had you had illustrated there from you know five years ago being in represented in one province to now coast to coast it's uh, it's impressive and it's probably it signifies to me anyway that there's much more um like the the sort of sky is the limit when it comes to this thing and i think more and more internationally trained lawyers are being called to the bar per year in canada um in various provinces so i think this this movement will only continue to grow and get stronger, which is, I think, reassuring for for individuals who are starting to consider coming to Canada or coming back to Canada to practice law. And so how can um, students or internationally trained lawyers or how can individuals find Global Lawyers of Canada and and even yourself? Absolutely. Um, If you go to um, Mm glcanada.org, that's our website. Um, You can go to Get Involved. There's a tab that says get involved. Uh, we have in Ontario, we are launching very soon our small group mentoring program. Um, we 
also you can sign up for our membership currently our membership is free um, you can sign up that means you basically get our newsletters and you can attend all of our events um, all of our events are virtual currently so it's even better so if you haven't arrived in Canada yet or you haven't returned to Canada just yet you can still connect with us you can still join us uh, I host a series called virtual mentor office hours um, it's every Thursday at five percent five p.m. Pacific and um, 8 p.m. Um, Eastern and each week I'm joined by different legal professionals um, who are from across Canada and the world who come on and share their journeys and tips on various different topics that might be of use to our members um, at whatever stage you're at in your career, your legal career. Um, so everything from recruitment tips to practice tips to in-depth looks at different topics, legal topics. Um, so it's well worth joining. You can also find that on our YouTube channel. Just type in Global Lawyers of Canada into YouTube and you'll find all of the pre-recorded um, past sessions that we've done. Mm -hmm. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. Just search Siobhan Lennox. Um, there's not too many of us, so you'll find me. I'm on <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <laughs> and also, obviously, if you click on the bio for this podcast, there'll probably be a link. Um, and I'm sure we'll share a link to how to find me on there as well. Sure. Um, but yeah, please do reach out to any of the Global Lawyers of Canada community. Um, all of our the board bios um, are up on our website, so you can contact any of the board in any of the different provinces. Um, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to hear your journey. And we'll try and put you in contact with some other people. Um, but also we'll just point you in the direction of a few resources that might make the journey a tiny little bit easier for you mm. um, on that one. Because you're not doing this alone. There's an awful lot of those out there who've gone through this journey or who are going through this journey. Um, and we definitely rise up by lifting each other up around us as well. Um, we are currently um, recruiting for new board members in BC. Um, so we'll be doing our first annual general meeting in BC next week, um, first week in September. So we'll have some new board members on board. So there'll be lots of new exciting things coming out of BC as well. Um, and all of the other chapters are busy working on various different initiatives for how we can support our members both regionally and nationally um, as best as possible. Amazing. Uh, but do also but do also connect with other organizations um, there's the niger lawyer association there is the black lawyers of canada association there's FACL, which is the federation of asian canadian lawyers um, there's the nca network in ontario um, there's some great initiatives out there um, so please do like look around look at what other professional organizations there's the trial lawyers association for each province there's the canadian bar association and mm -hmm. um, so definitely do do look around do connect with these organizations as a student in particular you get ridiculously cheap membership fees and then can basically attend everything for free and mm -hmm. um, so take advantage of that whilst you're a student because the price goes up quite a yeah. bit once you're called to the bar um, and these are great opportunities to meet other legal professionals in areas of the law that might be of interest to you um, because maybe you're moving to a different jurisdiction and this might be the opportunity to try a different area of law mm -hmm. maybe you've always wanted to work in um, family law but you've always been a litigator well maybe now is an opportunity to change 
um, your practice focus. So talking to different family lawyers and different litigators, you can explore that avenue um, early on in the process and figure out exactly what it is you want to do um, to then shape the career the way you want it to be going forward. Yeah, I couldn't have said it any better myself, 100%. There are organizations out there. And I mean, we, we touched on it. This kind of getting qualified and getting started as an associate in Canada can seem daunting, but there are, I mean, there are so many organizations out there now, including Global Lawyers of Canada, who who's you know who offer their time really like you're, you're offering your time and board members offer their time and guest speakers offer their time to to create this community to allow people to feel a part of a community and to feel inspired and and to learn from from individuals who have who've done it before so i think it's amazing and um, on that note siobhan it, it's been a really good podcast i think um <laughs> this is sort of one worthy of being pinned <laughs> as it were, because <laughs> I think we've touched on so many things, like uh, a lot of the things that I had made notes of, we've already touched down just organically, which has been amazing. Um, and I, I like to close these things with, with one sort of question or surprise question that I hadn't, Ooh. I hadn't given to you ahead of time. Um, okay. Yeah. And, and that, that is, Essentially, given your experience in learning that you did not want to become a doctor, and then the GDL, the LPC being sponsored by a firm, your experience in commercial and corporate law, and then working in-house at a financial institution, the financial collapse, coming to Canada, working in Banff, skiing 100 days a year, you know, then moving to Vancouver and being um, a legal assistant and, and getting exposure that way in a national firm and now working where you are now <laughs> in corporate law, all of that, that whole journey, um, would you do it again, knowing everything that you had to go through and the stresses, the anxieties, um, the pitfalls, but also the triumphs? Would, would you go through all of that to end up where you are today? The short answer is yes. Yep. The long, the slightly longer answer is yes, but I would have done a few things differently. Mm -hmm. I would have started networking a little earlier. I would have studied in a different way for the NCA exams. And that's just a personal thing. I could have used a different technique, which I learned towards the end of writing my NCA exams rather than the beginning of my NCA exams. So if I had that hindsight, I would have approached them in a different manner. Mm -hmm. um, it would have made my life a little bit easier. Um, I also self-studied. I didn't use a tutor. Um, mm -hmm. For anybody who's wondering about that, you don't need a tutor. It's a personal preference. Mm -hmm. But if you do use one, your lawyer, do your due diligence 100%. Um, on that one. Um, and I probably would have networked a little bit harder at the beginning um, to have broadened my options and the opportunities at an earlier stage. Mm -hmm. um, and also I probably would have connected with GLC sooner and other professional organizations um, because I didn't necessarily find out about them until later on. You know, I'd already completed all of my NCA exams and I was already articling before I found GLC. So, you know, it would have just been nice to have had a few more friends going right. through the process at the same time um, as I was, or having gone through the process um, recently, that I could have, you know, just had their 
who emotionally would have just recognized what I was going through at the same time as well. Um, but yeah, I 100% couldn't see my career looking different at this point um, and where I am right now. Mm, yeah, I think um, your answer, I think you, you probably maybe be comforted in knowing that a lot of people answer that question in the exact same way, Siobhan. It is, <laughs> you know, uh, ultimately... I'd do it again. But of course, we all, you know, we all have things that, that we would have done differently. But I think, um, and I, I do mention this on other episodes as well, there's this, this continuing prevailing theme that um, it's the professional development and the intellectual pursuits and, and all of that is great. But I think what people really cherish is the personal development and you know who you become who you were prior to this journey to Canada versus who you are now I think changes quite a bit with who you meet and some of the struggles you have to go through so I think that while the journeys are quite different um, the the personal development and the satisfaction that goes along with that and sort of the pride really that goes along with that is shared. So that's, it's, it's comforting to know that I think for, for other internationally trained lawyers who are thinking about making the move is that um, while some of this seems a bit daunting, ultimately, you know, if, if you put your heart and soul into something, you, you come out the other end uh, proud of what you've done. Absolutely. Um, if it's something you really, really want, and this goes for anything in your life, if it's something you really want, you will make it happen. And don't compare yourself to somebody else's journey. Your journey is your own journey and you'll reach your goals when you're ready to reach those goals. So keep working towards it. And there's, you know, although it's a struggle and a grind, and at times, you know, you want to quit and you really do start to think, am I making the right decision here or should I quit? Mm -hmm. If you really, really want it, remember what your why is, why you want it. And just keep focusing on that why, because your persistence, your tenacity and your drive are going to stand you in such good stead for your career and for life in general going forward. And all of us at GLC and all of us out there in the legal profession we're all cheering you on and we really look forward to welcoming you all to the bar at some stage. Amazing. Well, that's a great way to end the episode. I, I just want to thank you, Siobhan, for taking time out on a, on a Sunday of all days to do this podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. I really appreciate it. And I know that the listeners will get a lot from this. So um, yeah, thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me, Anton. And I look forward to um, hearing from anyone who listens to the podcast in the future. And that does it for episode three of the podcast. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed the conversation. I think Siobhan really went through quite a bit. I mean, we can all learn from her journey. Um, again, every journey is different, but also I think especially um, her experiences in networking and how she found her footing in Canada. I think um, the lessons that can be learned here are that uh, there's no one linear path to law in Canada and that it's okay to take your time to to network with people to, as Siobhan did, maybe work as a legal assistant for some time before becoming an associate at a firm. All in all, I think um, my huge takeaway from this episode is her super valuable insights on networking. 
And um, I advise everybody to listen to this, maybe even again, to get some pointers and um, obviously to reach out to Siobhan if, um, if you have any further questions, because I know she's, she's open to that. And again, to take part in her uh, mentor sessions on Wednesdays. That'll do it for this episode. And um, we'll look forward to talking again soon.